The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. And I always promise that, and it's always true. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. In case you're keeping count, this is episode number 246 of a series we started back in October 2011. What's the buzz today, you're asking me? Okay, I'll tell you. The buzz is the word on the street. Digital transformation is real, and it's more relevant than ever for chemical companies. That's going to be our focus today. Why do I say that? Well, recent technology, technological advancements, we call them innovations, are enabling chemical companies to sense and respond in real time. We'll explain that later. They can predict patterns before they happen. Who doesn't want that? And they can personalize products and services like never before. That's the trend. Customers want what they want when they want it, even if it's B2B. But According to one of our panelists today, Rich Seltz at SAP, he says many in the chemical industry misunderstand the term digital. They only think of it in terms of, come on, manufacturing and supply chain. They don't think of it in terms of the big picture, growing their profitability and achieving sustainable competitiveness, and everybody wants that. What's the result? Well, I'm pulling out an old Yogi Berra quote, deja vu all over again. The chemical companies are just replaying their past digital efforts, blah, blah, blah. Well... Got some more information here from our panelist, Greg Gorbach. You'll meet him in a moment. He says, digitization is the means to participate in the changing ecosystem and to transform business processes based on data and dynamic market signals. That's the goal. And our panelist, third panelist, Charles Wallace, warns, digitization is not an IT problem. It's now a real business requirement. So let's look at the bottom line here. The time has come for chemical companies to refocus their digital lens on the future. And guess what? Bang on the table. The future starts now. The experts speak, and as I mentioned, I've got a great panel. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll start with their opening quotes. Greg Gorbach is a vice president and industry analyst at ARC Advisory Group. He's joined on the panel by Charles Wallace, senior VP and CIO, chief information officer at Solenis, S-O-L-E-N-I-S, if you want to look it up. And rounding out the panel is Rich Seltz, VP of Digital Transformation at SAP. Great panel. Very insightful, lots of savvy and expertise here. So let's get started. Greg Gorbach sent me a quote from Jim Barksdale, former CEO at Netscape. 
little background. Full name, James Love Barksdale, born 1943, January 24th. He's an American executive who served as the president and CEO of Netscape Communications Corp. from January 95 until the company merged with AOL in March of 1999. Let me just tell you a little bit about Barksdale. He was called before the U.S. Congress several times during hearings about Microsoft and its alleged abuse of its operating system monopoly to dominate the web browser market. If you want to look that up, it's called Browser Wars. At one point, Barksdale addressed the entire room of Congress. He said, how many of you use Intel-based PCs with this audience, in this audience, not Macintoshes? Most people raise their hands. Of that group, he asked, who uses PCs? How many of you use a PC without Microsoft's operating system? All of the hands went down. He said to the Senate panel, gentlemen, that is a monopoly. <laughs> Here's the quote that, uh, that Greg Gorbach has picked from Jim Barksdale. Quote, if we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. Obviously a man of the people. Greg, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm very well. Thanks, Bonnie. Delighted so, to have um, you. Tell me about this quote. How does it relate to our topic? We're talking chemicals here today. Go ahead. Sure. Well, I like this quote for a couple of reasons. Um, so first, it, it suggests that a company could benefit from being data-driven as opposed to the normal situation where the most powerful or influential person uh, involved drives the decisions. Um, it, I also take this quote as a call to action. It implies that Different decisions maybe should be made and uh, wherever the data justifies it. But to get there, you have to collect the data and probably deploy some analytics tools to make it useful. So So today we're in an era where not only chemical companies, but industrial companies, all kinds of companies, are embracing this idea of digital transformation. And data and analytics, in my view, are the key to success. Yeah, you need uh, sensors and you need embedded intelligence in machines, and you need network communications, and you need to manage provisioning and device connectivity. There's a lot of technology that you need, but it all starts with data from machines or plant operations or supply chain and customers and engineering. But what do you do with it? It all has to get sorted out somehow. So that's where machine learning and cognitive computing and artificial intelligence and predictive analytics come in and and power new ways of doing business. And, of course, I like the last part of the quote a lot, um, <laughs> you know, because if we all have opinions, let's go with mine. I think that suits me pretty well. <laughs> I have a question for you, Greg. I appreciate that. I, I thought the whole thing was rather humorous, uh, and I'm sure there were always always somebody in a room that says, well, you know, we can't figure it out. Just go with my opinion. Uh, question is, is this breaking news for the chemical industry, what we're talking about today, Greg? Just briefly, is this going to come as a shock? Hey, digitization, it's not your, I'll, I'll advisedly use this phrase, uh, it's not your grandma or your papa or your daddy's digitization. This is something new, and it's exciting, and you really need to be there. Is this breaking news? Well, yes and no. Uh, you know, it's it's something that um, you know most companies are coming to terms with pretty pretty quickly. I mean, if I look over the last um, last decade or so, then we've started to see more um, more evidence of this kind of thing happening. So we've seen supply in my business. I've seen suppliers who suddenly announced that hey, we can collect data from sensors and send it to SAP. Like, well. Most of the time when I first started hearing that, I said, that's nice, but what does SAP need with a temperature data or flow data or something like that? It, it really doesn't, doesn't matter. And, um, and then I started hearing from chemical companies, you know, I got a new problem. All my assets 
um, you know, they're starting to come with Ethernet connections that I'm running out of IP addresses. So that's an interesting change. And, I, and then everyone's heard of, you know, cloud computing and, and everybody's got a mobile device. And the latest thing is analytics and machine learning is just uh, dominates uh, most every conversation I have with users these days. So these things have been coming on and, and all these things together or maybe even individually could drive a digital transformation. So, it's you know, I, it's not that chemical companies um, haven't seen these things coming, but um, mm-hmm. it's starting to be real. And I guess that's probably the point that may surprise some of them. It's, it's really becoming real right now, using all this in a, in a useful way. Thank you very much, Greg. Good introduction to our topic. And now I'm pleased to welcome Charles Wallace. I mentioned he's the Senior VP and CIO of Selenis. And Charles has sent me a quote from Elon Musk. Those of you who have been literally hiding under a rock, Elon Musk, full name Elon Reeve, R-E-E-V-E Musk, born in 1971. He's a young one, South African-born, Canadian-American business magnate, investor, engineer, and inventor. He's the founder, CEO, and CTO of SpaceX, the co-founder, CEO, and Product architect of Tesla Motors, you all know that. Co-founder and chair of Solar City, co-chairman of OpenAI, co-founder of Zip2, and founder of X.com, which merged with the PayPal of Confinity. My goodness, here's the bottom line. As of June 2016, which is just a couple of weeks uh, behind us now, Elon Musk has an estimated net worth of $12.7 billion U.S., making him the 83rd wealthiest person in the world. And if you think he's not busy enough, he has also envisioned a high-speed transportation system called Hyperloop and has proposed a VTOL supersonic jet aircraft with electric fan propulsion. And what's it going to be called? The Musk Electric Jet. Why not? Here is the quote Charles Wallace has selected. Some people don't like change. But you need to embrace change if the alternative is disaster. Charles Wallace, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, Bonnie, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So, Charles, you a big fan or follower of Elon Musk? He's certainly a busy guy. He certainly is. He's been doing quite a bit, hasn't he? <laughs> so, tell so me about the, this. Yeah, tell me about the quote. Yeah, sure. So it's, uh, I find it, um, uh, although very simplistic, um, probably uh, very apropos for, for our industry and some of the, the challenges that we've had, right? We, we have an industry that um, I think resists many way, in many ways using technology. We're, we're focused on efficiency and safety and things of this nature that, that are all very, very important. But uh, the competitive nature of the chemical industry, I believe, it's going to change. It's going to change relatively dramatically over the coming years so that uh, our, we're going to have to compete in ways that we did not have to compete before. We're going to have to look and act and behave more like a B2C um, type of uh, industry than a B2B type of industry. Right? We're really going to have to um, present ourselves to, uh, to the markets, to our customers, our potential customers, in new ways, and we're going to have to bring solutions that solve problems and do them quickly. So I, I think that in order to do that, it can be the old model where we're spending uh, lots of time sending salespeople and engineers and others into um, our customer locations and plants, but we're really going to have to enable them through digital capability, digital technologies, Internet of Things type of solutions, uh, analytics, predictive analytics, and so forth. 
And, uh, <clears throat> and so I, I think change has been hard for the chemical industry. Right? We, there, was not, there wasn't a reason for them to change. There really wasn't a, a spark, if you will. And uh, I, I think that that's, that's happening now. Uh, you see changes in the chemical industry uh, that suggest uh, that the competitive nature of things are going to, going to be relatively dramatic. Thank you, Charles. I'm going to pick up one, the second part of the quote here, if you don't mind. You need to embrace sure. change. If the alternative is disaster, are we talking here about disaster, meaning chemical companies are at risk of becoming outmoded, out of the loop? You mentioned more B2C style than B2B traditionally, needing to, to embrace what the customers or their prospects need. So is the alternative slash disaster that Musk is talking about, if we, we push that over to our conversation today, is that that they might be at risk of, of becoming obsolete? Uh, not, not, the, not the chemical industry, obviously, but I, I think that the uh, individual experience for, for each one of the chemical companies is going to be uh, one of, of being challenged by much smaller companies that are able to produce uh, with uh, lower-cost plants, uh, operations, and so forth, mm-hmm. that will make the larger organizations have to pay attention in ways that they... Uh, haven't had to before. Right? They, they largely had um, uh, large market shares, huge segments of the of the industry, and I think their competition is going to be smaller. They're going to be more agile, more nimble. Uh, they're going to use they're going to, uh, digital technology solutions. They're going to use uh, new interfaces, and they're going to be able to come in uh, with these relatively small uh, plants and so forth, and overseas in some cases. And produce this uh, the same chemical, if not a better technology, um, uh, at a much lower cost. And I think that's going that's going to set up for uh, a disaster, <laughs> right, for the individual, for the company. Um, something that uh, I think shareholders will be paying very close attention to as time goes on, as they see uh, that the mode of operation hasn't really changed. I think shareholders are going to have something to say about that. Thank you, Charles. Very insightful, and that's what I was looking for, that I wanted to to apply that word, disaster. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on the show and to meet you. We'll be hearing more from you later. And let's round out our panel, welcoming Rich Seltz, VP of Digital Transformation at SAP. And Rich has sent me an interesting quote from Charles Kettering. I think uh, panelists in the past have occasionally quoted Kettering. Very interesting guy. I think Kettering and Elon Musk would probably have been good friends. Let me see. Kettering passed away in 1950. 58. Elon Musk was born in, let me see my dates here, he was born in 71. No, they, they were ships that, that passed far, far away. Uh, Charles Kettering, 1876 to 1958, was an American inventor engineer, businessman, and the holder of 186 patents. He was a founder of Delco, head of research at General Motors from 1920 to 47. Among his most widely used automotive developments were the electrical starting motor, leaded gasoline. He also was in in employment of DuPont Chemical Company. There we have a chemical company here, responsible for inventing the Freon refrigerant for refrigeration and air conditioning. He was responsible for the development of Duco lacquer 
lacquers and enamels, the first practical colored paints for mass-produced automobiles. And when he worked at Dayton Wright Company, this is a busy guy too, he developed the Bug aerial torpedo, considering the world's first aerial missile. But enough about him. Here's the quote Rich has selected. This is from Charles Kettering. If you've always done it that way, it's probably wrong. Talking about change. Rich Seltz, welcome. How are you? Good morning, Bonnie. I'm doing very well. Um, I picked this quote really for two reasons. First of all, I, I think Charles Kettering just sounds like one of those fascinating guys you wish you could have dinner with and um, <laughs> certainly won't get that opportunity. But just all the things he touched is, is just really exciting. And the actual quote itself, I think, speaks to what we're all facing and kind of building on what Charles said about change. These are fascinating times. And, you know, I go back, I, I started my career after college and I was a Peace Corps volunteer and I served in Armenia. I was a small business development advisor. And let me tell you, Armenia was a post-Soviet republic and I was there very shortly after the uh, union broke apart. If you ever want to find a place where change doesn't happen and people sort of think, you know, we've always done it this way, we should keep doing it that way, go to a communist country. And fortunately, history says, you know, that model doesn't work very well and people have progressed. But I certainly learned that, you know, you can't just look at something and assume the world around you isn't going to evolve. I mean, people change, the world changes, economy changes, and uh, probably most importantly, technology really, really fascinating things are happening, coming to market, etc. So I look at this and, and combined with what I've seen talking to loads of companies, I say, good grief, if you don't really recognize that, and, and if you think you can stick your head in the sand, you're going to be sorely disappointed and disrupted. So I uh, thought it was a great quote. It absolutely is a great quote, and, and I really appreciate it. And by the way, I have to tell our listeners, the guests don't, my panelists don't get together in one room and say, okay, let's pick a bunch of quotes that all link together with people who would have been great at a cocktail party. This, this <laughs> is all done independently. So, and I didn't even realize until we were, we were uh, talking together here on the show of such an overlap of interesting personas. Let me see who our, our Barksdale sound like an interesting guy too. Thank you, Rich, very much. Rich, I'm going to ask you a favor. Who, sure thing. who is, who is in the chemical industry today? What are some of the names we're talking about? How far reaching is the word chemicals in terms of an industry? Where are we talking about? Well, great, great question. So traditional definition would be, you know, it's process industries where uh, goods are manufactured that become ingredients to be consumed by other business industry companies to make products. So we think of traditional chemical companies as the BASFs and the Dows and the buyers and you know people mm-hmm. like that, and um, they dominate the industry. But we find more and more smaller companies coming to market with um, specialized ingredients, right? Things that, that take chemistry to manufacture, which is a very um, disciplined, strict process, right, to be able to do that. And most importantly, to do it safely and economically. So anybody can do chemistry by making beer in their garage, but to be able to actually make things at scale kind of defines what a chemical company is. Now, on the side of that or edge, I would say there's the industry of industrial gases, and certainly upstream, you have oil and gas and specialty uh, lubes and things like that. So it's kind of a broad spectrum, but I would say from base chemicals to specialty chemicals where ingredients or um, agents are manufactured to be consumed elsewhere, that's, that's the industry we're speaking about. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And, Rich, I want to thank you for putting together this panel. Very interesting interesting thought leaders. And let's circle back to Greg Gorbeck. Greg, I want to get a little personal here with you today. Don't get frightened. I just want to know where you're calling from. And this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. What's in your cup right now while we're talking on the show? Or what are you planning to drink later? What's your favorite drink and even a travel story? Greg Gorbeck, talk to me. Okay, Bonnie. Well, so um, I'm calling from Boston, and... Uh, I'm a big coffee drinker, so it's a pretty safe bet that uh, th- that I've got a coffee nearby, and I, in fact, I am drinking coffee this morning. So I like my coffee black, and I like a dark, rich roast. Um, I, I drink a lot of Starbucks, but today I'm drinking coffee <clears throat> from a specialty coffee shop called Recreo Coffee and Roastery. So this is a, a family business. Uh, they've got a farm in the Coffee Triangle in Nicaragua. Uh, they've run it for many years, I think 50 years, something like that. They do a lot of socially responsible things and eco-friendly things. Uh, this is not the reason I drink their coffee. Uh, they pick their coffee cherries by hand, uh, and the quality is really very good. But their retail shop happens to be right in my neighborhood in Boston, and the quality is great. So today I'm drinking a large cup of their bold roast. That sounds delicious. That's the way I like my coffee. Can you spell the name of the roastery for me, please? It's uh, Recreo, R-E-C-R-E-O. R-E-C-R-E-O. Oh, very interesting. Okay, thank you very much. Put that into the Twitter feed here. Maybe give them a shout-out. Thank you, Greg. And now let's turn to Mr. Charles Wallace. Charles, where are you, and what's in your cup today, or what are you dreaming about drinking? (laughs) Well, I'm calling you from, um, from the Philadelphia area. And um, in my cup this morning, as uh, uh, much like the, the two of you, I, I enjoy a great cup of coffee first thing in the morning. However, uh, as the day moves on, I've already transitioned in, into a, a glass of uh, lemonade. Uh, I like to keep it simple, right? The coffee is black, the lemonade is fresh, freshly squeezed. Um, and then, of course, as the day goes on, it's um, hard to resist the, the perfect glass of Two fingers of Macallan 12-year-old with uh, one cube of ice. <laughs> so that's my, that's my general mode of operation. Um, and uh, I'd say the mix for the best cup of coffee, uh, the best cup is the one that changes frequently through the day. That's very interesting. I don't think we've ever gotten a full beverage menu from a guest before, Charles. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. We're going to be saying, oh, it's 1 o'clock. It must be lemonade time for Mr. Wallace. Oh, it's it's 6.30. It's time for that two fingers of Macallan 12-year-old with one ice cube. I like that. Question for you. What's your mm-hmm. recipe for great lemonade? You squeeze the lemons. How much pr- proportion of water to ice to lemon? Do you use any sweetener, sugar, agave, anything? Or just you just smile and say, and pucker up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a simple guy, right? I like it. Um, I like everything pretty much uh, as I say, as God intended it, right? So the coffee comes out of the machine uh, freshly ground and black, and the lemonade comes out uh, squeezed without a whole lot of. Uh, I don't like the sweetness, so I actually uh, prefer the, the lemonade to be a little on the bitter side. But uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty much a pucker up and and enjoy it. Uh, so, but it makes the perfect lemonade for me. <laughs> I like that very much. Thank you for sharing that information. And now let's turn to Rich. Rich Seltz, where are you calling from? And uh, you've got some interesting beverages here from your co-panelists. What are you drinking today? 
I sure do. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I am calling from lovely Newtown Square in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. And with me today, I have a nice, beautiful glass of Chateau de la Pompe, which, um, if you don't know, is just a very fancy way of saying a nice glass of room temperature tap water. And uh, it's kind of my go-to throughout the day to make sure I drink tons of water. But this evening, I hope to be able to uh, get home in time and have a nice dinner with my family and probably break out a bottle of wine that we bought on vacation this summer while we were over in Italy. And that would be a Pinolo Driwonkat. So looking forward to that. And um, hopefully it was worth bringing back on the airplane. And remind, repeat the name of the wine. It's a Pinot what? Pinolo. P-I-G-N-O-L-O. That's actually the type of grape, but it's from Friuli, way up in the northeast of Italy, right by the Alps. Very nice. Thank you. I'll have to check that out next time I make a foray to the uh, liquor store. We have some very, very large and very well-stocked liquor stores here. I don't go too often, but always looking for something good. Thank you very much. And gentlemen, you don't know me. You know, it's an old joke. You don't know me. I don't know you, but I won't finish the joke. Uh, And I am drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear cup with a cool, clear straw because they do not allow me to have caffeine on radio show days. And I think you know why. So we're going to take a quick break. My guests have certainly deserved it, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We are talking today about the chemical industry digital transformation as a model for success. We're speaking with Greg Gorbach, Charles Wallace, and Rich Seltz, and I plan to be Bonnie after we come back from the break. So there. So, Michael, let's just do it. Out. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back. Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. Big topic today. Chemical industry, digital transformation as a success model. We're speaking to three gurus in the industry. Greg Gorbach, a VP and industry analyst at ARC Advisory Group, who told me he's drinking Rick Crayo coffee. We're speaking with Charles Wallace, Senior VP and CIO for Selenis. And when Charles comes on next, I'm going to ask him to just give us the the, uh, 60-second elevator pitch on what Selenis does. And he's drinking fresh 
fresh squeeze lemonade, the pucker up style. And we're speaking with Rich Seltz, VP of Digital Transformation at SAP, who is having a very grand and sophisticated glass of Chateau Le Pump tap water at SAP in Newtown Square. So let's get started with our roundtable. And Greg Gorbach, you're up first. Greg told me in his notes before the show the following. He's talking to our listeners in the chemical industry or anybody in the listening audience. We have a global audience in, oh, about over a thousand places around the world last we checked our metrics. So he says, your company is sailing on a sea of change, Mr. and Ms. Supply Chain people. In the chemical industry, your supply chains are transforming, your production systems will transform, customer relationships are transforming, and asset vendor relationships are transforming. Greg Gorbach, please expand this for us. Well, I think the main the main uh, point of this topic is that um, you know, unlike some of the technology drivers that have come along and put pressure on companies to change in the past, um, this what we're seeing right now is really a, a pretty big change across whole industries and whole ecosystems. So, um, and really moving uh, beyond traditional business models, if uh, in many cases, so. Um, that's why I think uh, it's important to think of it as, uh, as sailing on a sea of change and not just uh, trying to make an argument to your uh, executive team that I'd like to make some uh, some changes because I think I can do things a little better. Really, the company could the company's uh, future performance could depend on it. So, if I talk about, for example, in the supply chain, um, we could look at. Changes like in the agribusiness uh, sector, which affects many chemical companies. So companies that sell to the farms and companies that buy from the farms can all benefit by collaborating digitally and, and sharing information. Um, that means that the chemicals companies can work in conjunction with farmers as well as agricultural machine makers to tailor field-specific planning and application plans, for example. So, I mean, that's... a Departure from uh, from some of the earlier models that uh, that Rich described earlier. Um, this kind of uh, this kind of change in business model can ye- can lead to higher yield for farmers, uh, which we're certainly going to need as population growth continues and climate change puts pressure on on the growing regions. But you know the farmers can also obtain higher margins. Uh, the agrochemical companies can increase their own revenues, and uh, farm customers can have more confidence in crop yields and pricing. So it takes a willingness to collaborate and share information, but it also takes technology. So you, you, the farm equipment makers, for example, can reduce warranty and service costs and offer new services and, and share data, but only if they add sensors and connectivity and monitoring and analytics to their machines, which they have been doing. Uh, so that generates the data needed by the chemical company partners. So I've got a couple of other examples, Bonnie, but um, shall yeah, give me, I give stop me one there more. and, and no, let give someone me one else more, jump one, in? One more, and then we'll invite Charles and Rich to comment. One more example, Greg, would be great. Okay. Um, well, here's a little bit different different take uh, about change that's percolating throughout the, the chemical industry and other industries. Um, and that is many, many chemical companies are seeing their workforce demographics change. You know, the baby boomers are retiring and taking their tribal knowledge with them. Um, so uh, a lot of times when I'm talking to these companies, they, you know, the question comes up, well, can, can cognitive computing or machine learning replace that knowledge and replace these workers? Not really, I, I think, not today. It can help, though, in some ways. 
They can be de- these technologies can be deployed to improve asset uptime by predicting machine failures before they happen. Uh, there may be opportunities to improve process performance through the use of these technologies. Um, and it's also maybe possible to outsource some maintenance work, such as doing rounds to collect machine or process data. Uh, so you can outsource it to third parties who, who can then remotely monitor the assets and then either uh, deploy their own staff or, or notify you that, that something should be done to head off um, anticipated issues. Uh, but another just final point related to this uh, this whole workforce change is that uh, digitization, uh, without digitization, it could be difficult to hire younger staff to work on some ancient and isolated and unconnected automation and software systems in the plant. Uh, you know, it can seem to these workers like it's the Stone Ages and there's no future in it, uh, and it's really hard to argue against that. But... Um, but, you know, with uh, some of the powerful new analytics platforms, for example, they run in the cloud and they support cutting-edge development processes, so it can be quite attractive to uh, to some of the younger workers. Um, and that's I'll stop there. Good, okay, that's always a good thing, attractive to younger workers. And I may end the show in our predictions round at the very end, Greg and Charles and Rich, with uh, what is the chemical industry doing to attract millennials as new leaders new leadership in the C-suite, but when new innovators. We'll talk about that later. Charles Wallace, love to get your two cents or however much you got in spare change on what Greg just introduced, and then we'll invite Rich into the conversation. Charles? Yeah, sure. I think that there's a, a tremendous opportunity out there, uh, quite honestly, um, when when you look at things like predictive and uh, cognitive and so forth. I, I think from a digitization uh, place, it, it isn't enough to just talk about uh, taking the business process and digitizing it or the workflows and digitizing those things. I, I think for the C-suite uh, exec- executives and for uh, the, the competitive nature of our environment, we really have to go out on the ledge. We, we have to go to the outer reaches of things that we've thought about, considered, maybe even in some cases a proof of uh, running through some type of proof of concept and say what, what's really possible in our ability to predict things inside of our customers' processes, right? And so, again, I think we we had a conversation a little bit earlier here talking about some of the competitive nature and changes of our business, some of the smaller companies, some of the smaller manufacturers being able to produce competitive products at a, um, a quality product at a competitive price and then, um, how, how are you going to defend against that? How are you going to um, make yourself as an organization more attractive to the customer? Uh, I think that there's something that has to be done uh, inside of our industry that really compels people to use predictive cognitive capabilities, take those analytics to the next level, and, and use them as a, a means of com- uh, competition. Um, I don't think that it's a, a question of if, so much as when, and it's not far down the road. And so uh, we're, we're all probably thinking about it, and some of us will actually do it. Hmm. <laughs> Charles, okay. this is Greg. Go if, ahead, you, Greg. If you don't mind, I love that, uh, that point you made about we have to go out on the ledge. Um, I think mm-hmm. that is so important. Um, you know, this industry, like a lot of other uh, industries, has, has been pretty conservative. 
especially uh, in the plant level. And, uh, and, and what do you think is changing or, or shaking things up enough to, that lets people think about taking that step to go out on the ledge? Because when I talk to companies, I do see companies that are willing to do that and that are trying to do that, but a lot of other ones are just not quite there yet and, you know, sort of dragging their feet on this one. Um, so I just wonder about that because I, I, I know it's, uh, I, I firmly believe that it's, an, uh, that it's an important piece. Yeah, yeah, Greg, I, I would say, um, uh, quite honestly, I, I think that uh, you really have to have strong leadership in your organization, right? You have to have a leadership that recognizes that, uh, that there is an opportunity, number one, and can translate the opportunity into action. Um, but more importantly, I think they have to have a level of audacity. They have to have the guts to go out there and do some things differently. And um, I, I think that it's, it's going to uh, be forced, if you will, by competition. And in some ways, um, you know, at the, uh, at the risk of um, being maybe a little too provocative, uh, maybe it won't be the CIO that produces the, the challenge for the organization, but someone else, the CEO, the, the chief digital officer, the, the, the uh, marketing uh, person or something like that that really sets the challenge up for the organization and says, yeah, that what we've done got us to where we are, but that's not going to get us to where we want to be, so we must change something, and it will have to be somewhere along this line, in my opinion. Thank you, Charles and Greg. I want to get Rich into this conversation. Rich has been waiting very patiently. Rich, we've got a lot of interesting thoughts on the table. What's your POV? Absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I think there's some great points that both Greg and Charles just brought up. When I look at it, I see these chemical companies. I mean, let's face it, almost by charter, they are required to be conservative because simply they do risky business activities and they have to manage that very safely and stringently, which they do incredibly well. But unfortunately, what that also means is people sort of look at things the same way day after day. And I think when you hear of digital and and technology and all the great value being created, people tend to say, well, how do we apply that to our current state model? How do we run faster, better, cheaper? How do we do things in operations um, so that we can create more profit? And while no doubt there is opportunity there, I think we're also starting to see some companies finally stepping out of that comfort zone and starting to say, as I think you brought up, Greg, that you know, working with customers and redefining how chemical companies can partner with customers creates opportunities. I'm seeing some companies actually stepping out and creating proofs of concept where they're saying, let's partner with customers in real time. How is it and how can we figure out a way to create value for our own customers so that they benefit, therefore they're going to buy more of our product than we benefit. They're doing that by working together, sharing information in real time, and then creating predictive capabilities so that, let's say, a chemical company's product actually performs better when consumed by their customer. Traditionally, you know, chemical companies made products, they shipped it, and they sort of forgot about it until, you know, the bill was paid and they said, thank you for buying this product. Where's the next order? Now, of course, I'm simplifying, but, but on the whole, chemical companies don't have interactive relationships about how their products are being used by their customers in most uh, areas. But the good news is that's changing. And I think there's real value to be created um, along that. So, 
Yeah, are we in a sea of change? Absolutely. And I think we'll see people stepping out of their comfort zone a lot more. Very interesting. Gentlemen, I, this is Bonnie. I just want to add something. I did a little look up on which industries are lagging the most on digitization, and I found at networkworld.com an article, a research by McKinsey, and the question is, so just which industries have best embraced digitization, and you won't be surprised, uh, information and communications technology, ICT, the media sector, financial services. That surprises me because we have a separate series called Financial Excellence with Game Changers, and we talk about the finance finance departments being laggards in technology all the time, and professional services are surging ahead, in quotes. However, other sectors need to catch up. Most sectors are less than 15% as digitized as the leading ones. Those in the lowest rung include healthcare, construction, and hospitality. Examples of medium digitization are advanced manufacturing, wholesale trade, and retail trade. Just wanted to toss that in. Uh, any comments from anyone on what I just read? That's a 2015 study, by the way. Any comments? Yeah, buddy, of- this is Rich. Yep. I, I'd love to comment briefly. I, I agree. We, we look at a spectrum, right? SAP as a company is huge, and we, we serve multiple industries. If you think about who is embracing digital, You can make an argument saying that chemicals has been a leader for the longest time. They've had manufacturing execution systems. They're collecting loads of information about their operations. However, I would not put them on the leading edge of digitization or digital transformation. While they're using technologies that are digital and they're collecting information, I would not make the case that the chemical industry has actually figured out how to monetize that and create new business models nearly as much as those other industries that you mentioned. So is it digital? Yes. Are they a digital company? No. They're very far down on the spectrum. Thank you. uh, Yeah, please, Greg. Go ahead. Okay. So I, I agree with that, Rich, but I also see that there's a huge opportunity, and some companies are, are taking the steps to, uh, to really improve their own production systems. Um, you know, yes, they've been using some software and MES and, and, uh, and other things like that for quite some time, but uh, by and large, uh, they haven't done much with the uh, machine health data. Uh, so there's a really big opportunity to change um, the, the performance level of, of some of their large assets by monitoring that health and, and doing that in a, in a different way. So this is, comes back to some of the, you know, the analytics we've been talking about. But it's also one of the pieces uh, that's being driven by the, this related topic of the Internet of Things or the, the Industrial Internet of Things, which is... Uh, you know, sort of been spreading throughout all those sectors that you that you mentioned, Bonnie, but is also uh, probably growing the fastest in the industrial sector. So I think that, um, that 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 probably supports your placing the chemicals company somewhere in the in the middle of the pack. I think in in your spectrum. Thank you very much, Charles. Do you want to comment on that? Because I'm ready to pick up some topics from your list of discussion statements here. But Charles, you want to add to any comments about where chemicals falls in that spectrum? Uh, thanks, Bonnie. I, I think I, I clearly agree with the the other panelists here. Obviously, we we have a lot of room to go. Um, I do think that there are, and you'll probably find uh, more and more some companies that are probably running some projects internally, some proof of concepts some stuff in there. They're really trying to wrap their brains around what this means. And is it just an operational efficiency? Is it just another uh, project that um, 
maybe has some Six Sigma overtones and we're going out there and we're digitizing our business processes and so on, or is it really something more of a competitive opportunity, something more of a, an opportunity to catapult the industry and how it interacts uh, with its customers uh, to another level? So I, I think that there are some folks out there really working hard at this, um, and we'll start to hear about some of those things as, uh, as time goes on. But uh, for now, we, we struggle, quite honestly, as an industry. Thank you, Charles. Charles? Um, Charles? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's the scary part, too, because, uh, you know, getting these, um, uh, you know, thinking about those big game changers, you know, to go uh, to our topic today, but getting the game changers is is hard to envision. And really, when we talk to folks about that, we recommend that they do exactly what you say and start and get get started, start using the technology, start doing some pilot projects, start trying things, because that's the only way one thing will lead to another and you'll figure it out. Right. Thank you. I think that was Greg. And Charles, is, now I want you to please give us the elevator pitch on what does Selenis do, and then I'm going to pick up some of your notes. So go ahead, Charles. Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, so Selenis is a... Um, pulp and paper and water treatment uh, company. And so we're, we're in process chemicals uh, for the pulp and paper and water treatment businesses of everything from uh, manufacturing, obviously, of uh, tissue, towel, and, and other type of paper products, doing uh, improving wet strength is what we call it, all the way through to uh, water technologies, water treatment for process manufacturing uh, systems, boilers, uh, cooling towers and things of that nature. So uh, we're a uh, two-year-old uh, company carved out from a much larger chemical company and, um, and doing quite well. Thank you very much. Good to know. And now let's look at some of your notes. And we've already talked about the audacity to embrace change. I just want to give a little background on that from your notes. You say two decades of major ERP implementations, cumbersome IT projects, escalating costs for the maintenance, care, and feeding of platforms over those years. And the, the result is, Charles said, some leaders in the chemical industry are numb and maybe even reluctant to embrace the next new thing. Then he says, he says leaders in the chemical industry will have to get over over the fear and lead the change that may inevitably destroy and rebuild an industry typically not well known for leadership in tech. And here's where I want to land with this topic, Charles, and have you talk for just a couple of minutes here. You say, everything is everyone's problem, source unknown for that quote, but it's a good one. You say, if you put five Mm -hmm. to 20 executives across every discipline of an organization in one room, and you mention digitization in any context you like, it's highly likely the room will collectively turn toward the IT person and say, yeah. So how is that How is that shaking out in chemicals? Is that an accurate description of where the mindset is today, Charles? I, I would suspect, Bonnie, thank you for that great introduction to those topics. <laughs> I would suspect that those, um, that would happen at most companies, quite honestly. You know, you'll get the, the room of people together who, um, they, they really mean well. They, they come together and they're trying to find ways to bring the organization along, but they think about it in a uh, a stepping way, right? So there's step change in, I think, many industries and chemical industry in particular, which is, I think, why we are so slow to address some of the things that we're talking about today. Um, but the step change, while it's okay and it's safe, right, because that's, that's what we talk about in the chemical industry, right? We, we think about, we embrace, and we, we, uh, we want to be seen and felt and known from our employees, 
of the communities that we're doing business in, uh, our manufacturing plants, we want to be seen and known to be safe, right? But that's fine. And then you really also want to be able to compete, right? And you need leaders inside of your organization to understand what the digital capability really means. And, and in, order, in order for them to do that, they have to uh, be able to understand the opportunity, see that it's not just another uh, ERP, it's not just another mm-hmm. system, another platform, if you will, but it's real change for everyone from the sales organization to the engineers um, all the way through to your customers and your customer relationships and so forth. When you picture and imagine a time where your transaction with your customer is so fast uh, that you've produced the sale opportunity, uh, invoiced them, and, and got products shipped and things of that nature, all with very little fanfare and work, and then post that, you're providing them data and information about the transaction, about the logistics, like, a, like you would a, a UPS or a FedEx transaction, um, and so forth, and now you're even inside of the customer's location helping them understand more about their processes, about how their systems and tools and technologies work. Uh, imagine a time when uh, you're competing now digitally. Now, you have a product, right? You're, you're selling paint, you're selling uh, oil, you're selling uh, chemistries, and so forth, but your real product is digital, I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it seems a little bizarre maybe, but I think it's real. And I, and I think you need everyone in the C-suite uh, and, and throughout the company to, uh, to carry that message forward and to become, um, in some ways, evangelists for why an organization would want to do that uh, in order for it to be successful. I don't, I don't think it's an IT problem. I don't think it ever was, quite honestly, but I, I really think it is not an IT problem going forward, in particular as we see software as a service and infrastructure as a service, all these other types of service components that people can use as partners to delivering the capability. Thank you, Charles. I'd love to add to what Charles just said there. Please do. Um, We're almost ready for our prediction. So this is the last, uh, yeah, we've got five minutes until the end of the show. So, Rich, go ahead. Talk to me, please. uh, Absolutely. So, So, Charles, I think you made a great point. And one thing that really stands out to me is companies say, all right, is there a difference between a digital strategy and a business strategy? And unfortunately, I think too many people are looking at those things as very separate when, in fact, I think they're one and the same thing in today's day and age. And what that means is the audacity to embrace change, in my mind, needs to come from the top down. Within chemicals, you don't see board of directors and CEOs really forcing their organization to develop a digital roadmap very frequently. It is happening at some of the global chemical companies, but there's still the exception versus the norm, and that's got to change. Where people are really struggling is when it's a bottoms-up CIO, um, IT-led digitization program um, where it is not guided and, and it's an internal sales job just to get the senior executives to recognize the potential for digital. That's where companies really struggle, and I think there's a long way to go, but um, hopefully companies will be able to see through other examples that it's worth the while. 
Thank you, Rich. And Rich, you know, we are at the predictions round. I've got four minutes left. I can give you each about 45 seconds. But one comment, Rich, I'm looking at your notes here. I don't think we covered this. You say today's world, a chemical company has three currencies, money in the bank, kgs of product produced. You have to tell me what that means. And data, and that talks about what we were just discussing. But what is the kgs of products produced? Yeah, absolutely. So you have, you know, money in the bank, of course. Kgs, kilograms. So chemical companies pretty much produce volume of product that they sell. They can be totes, drums, whatever. Um, they think of that as really the output of all their effort, right? They manufacture and sell these products. Um, what they're just starting to realize is that third piece, that data, which surrounds them already, actually has value. And they're struggling mm-hmm. to understand, how do you convert that into something that is more valuable? By taking the data and enriching it with information from their customers, from the environment, from the supply chain and the value chain, all the way downstream and bringing that together, you start to get to all the big data type opportunities where a company should be empowered to predict what will happen if their product is used far better than a customer downstream could do it. Therefore, collecting this data can be sold as a service, advisory services, all kinds of things. Um, That potential is just starting to be tapped. But I think companies need to recognize that they have those three forms of wealth, and data is a key one of them. Thank you. And you know what? We're we're officially in the prediction. We've got to go to predictions. Greg, 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 we got to go to predictions. Make it your prediction. 45 seconds, Greg Korbeck, whatever you want to say. (laughs) Pretend it's a prediction and go. 45 seconds. All right, let's, um, well, in that case, um, my predictions for the next five to ten years, I think we'll see um, um, more modular distributed production because of some of the digitization that will allow that to happen, uh, along with some other technologies. We'll see uh, more and more smart plants and uh, supported by smart networks that, that connect them, and uh, I think things will become more more customer-driven. And then... I guess to the last pit is that there'll be more and more collaboration, and this is probably the fourth topic if, uh, that I was going to suggest, which is um, it's the, the fourth piece that really companies, chemical companies need to trade in is relationships. So it's, it's uh, the supply chain, it's all their partners, and it's all their customers and how all they, all they work together. I, I think that's driven by data, but it's the relationships themselves that are also important. Thank you very much. Charles Wallace, I can give you exactly 45, actually 30 seconds. Quick, give me a one-sentence prediction for chemicals. Go ahead, Charles. Unfortunately, it will look the same, and it will be a long struggle getting to where we think they should be. Those who listen to this call will probably, uh, to this uh, radio uh, uh, program, will probably say it was uh, inspiring and that they're going to go try to do something, but it's going to be a struggle for them as well. Thank you. Reality check. Rich Seltz, one sentence. That's it. We got to go. I think we'll see that chemical companies finally crack the nut on getting data beyond their own walls, using that information to create a much richer, bigger data, and they figure out how to create value-added services and sell those. They'll make new value, more money, more value streams. 
There you go. More money and value. That's the goal. Greg Gorbach, thank you. Charles Wallace, thank you. Rich Seltz, thank you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. This has been Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. Hope you in the chemical industry or anybody who knows and loves somebody in the chemical industry will take heart and heed some of the great advice and insight from our panelists. Thank you also to Stefan Gertzkin at SAP and Rich Seltz for putting together a great topic and a great panel. And here's my call to action. Hey, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.